Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. COVID-19. In the United States, 1,060,000 people have died. As of yesterday in the world, 6,592,976 people are dead. These are unfathomably vast numbers, comprehensible only one by one. Chances are that each of us knows someone who has died of the virus. And even for those who are not laboring under that grief, people everywhere are grieving this heavy toll. Grief is everywhere. It helps me so much to understand what so many of us are feeling when we stop long enough to feel it, to put a name to this melancholy tune that's playing in our hearts. I was gutted by my grandfather's death when I was 26 years old. A year later, AIDS literally arrived at my door, the great door of the Provincetown Meeting House, and whatever semblance of equanimity had returned to my life was detonated once again. I could tell you I buried over 100 young men, but only in the specificity of their deaths could any of us begin to metabolize that loss. We don't always have the luxury of grieving one death at a time. But I learned that I had to stay absolutely present or risk being completely overwhelmed. In the first year of the pandemic, long before vaccines and monoclonal antibodies, my sister Lisa was working as director of human resources in a large hospital in Maine. She was working all the time, doing her best to support the staff and patients. She stopped being able to sleep. She was exhausted. She began to experience chronic pain in her chest. She wondered if she were having a heart attack. She looked like death warmed over. One day she mentioned to me that her parking spot was near the same door where a huge refrigerator truck had been parked, it was doubling as the morgue. As Lisa came and went, the truck filled up with people with whose family she had sat and waited, some of whom were her neighbors and friends. The enormity of the loss threatened to break her. While parking elsewhere would not stop the rapacious killer, I knew it would buy her a little break from the horror of it, helping her to better manage the incoming hits. She did one better. Despite the extra time it took, she began to walk 
to and from work. It bought her just a little bit of peace. And that's what I want to invite us to do today as we honor this day of the dead, to attend to our tender hearts by stopping for just a moment to rest in the present and to create some breathing room, what my friend Chris Williamson calls the little room in our hearts, a healing place where we keep a candle burning for ourselves and for those whom we have loved and lost. Some of the challenge of grieving comes from how utterly out of control we feel. We're in free fall. Engaging with some things that are in our control is a way to begin to heal. You almost certainly know the traditional directives. Get out of bed. Shower. Eat something. Sit comfortably in a sunny window. Listen to music that matches your mood and allow yourself to be strangely comforted that you are in very good company, the great company of the bereaved. Even though low energy and poor concentration are hallmarks of grief, leave the house. Find some nature and walk in it. Even a spin around the neighborhood is helpful. Moving physically can help shift your focus from the loss to life. Forget about making to-do lists. Do something you're good at. Avoid isolating. Say yes to something. Find someone or something that needs your care, a neighbor, a garden, an animal companion. Talk it out and be courageous enough to accept the help and support of those who love you. Deepen the spiritual practices that most nourish you, especially meditation and prayer. Find your breath and just breathe. Finally, practice good sleep hygiene. Limit your napping. Limit caffeine and sugar and cut it off by late afternoon. Power down your devices at least an hour before bedtime. Try writing out your worries and make a gratitude list in spite of everything. Sleep in a cool, dark room. Call a healthcare provider if you still can't sleep. There are many remedies and you must sleep. I want to share two other resources I've found helpful. The first is to create what I call a grief case, a briefcase for your grief. Many of us create spontaneous altars after a loved one has died, a framed photograph, perhaps with a candle burning next to it, I have a friend who, after the death of his partner, started this way, then elaborated with fresh flowers and mementos. He kept adding to it until it took up an entire wall of repurposed bookshelves. Then he bought a beautiful antique hutch 
With the cabinet doors closed, you'd have no idea that dinnerware had been replaced by a shrine. Only he kept the doors open all the time, an altar to the deceased and to his grief. On entering his home, it was the first thing you'd see. At holidays and holy days, my friend gave a tour of this altar, this catalog of remembrance to friends invited for the occasion. At first, he didn't want to leave the house, leave the hutch, leave this stand-in for his lover. And so we invented the grief case. He literally filled a briefcase with a few photos and mementos, a traveling altar. He took it everywhere with him. At restaurants, he set it on the chair across from him. In the theater, he held it on his lap. Sometimes he would fish inside and take something out and hold that. It was immeasurably helpful. Make a grief case, and maybe it will help you or someone you love. As for my friends, slowly but surely, it became okay to close the doors of his shrine. Not all the time, but sometimes. The second resource for grieving I've found helpful is called containment. It sounds mad, but it's helped too many people I know not to share it with you. When your grief threatens to overwhelm you, draw a boundary. Specifically, choose a time of day to worry, to grieve, for about half an hour, an hour. Set a timer, have at it. When the time is up, choose the next time to feel all your feelings then do something lovely for yourself. When the wave of grief threatens, you can say, we have an appointment from four to five this afternoon. I'll be with you then. In this way, your sense of control is reignited and you feel less afraid you will drown in your grief. When I got the call that my daughter, Jamie, had been born in Peru, my parishioner, Patrick Grace, was dying with AIDS. Patrick was one of the founders of the Tucson AIDS Project. When he himself tested positive for the virus, he came to Provincetown to live out his days. I was crazy about him. He was beautiful and self-effacing, smart and soulful. We spent hours poring over his collection of coffee table books about the American Southwest. He described in detail the iconic hikes he loved there, and I promised I'd go someday. And I did, of course, and do, with red AIDS ribbons tied on my pack, my hiking boots, my hiking poles in memory of Patrick and all those who were lost to the pandemic. I left him in the beautiful embrace of our congregation and flew to Lima to adopt my daughter. A missionary priest from New Zealand named Grant Farquharson and I had spent a semester of divinity school together and become fast friends. He was serving in Lima and thrilled to welcome me to the country. 
On one of our first outings, he took Jamie and me to the vast slum on the city limits that was his parish. I expected to be met with a terribly grim scene, but instead, we drove right to a hilltop cemetery where, Grant said, families were preparing for El Dia de los Muertos. They were picnicking, cleaning the gravestones, and tidying up the graveyard. We went to join them. That day and that night were nothing short of magical. People kindly explained to me in slow, deliberate Spanish that this was the night that the veil between the living and the dead would become very thin. A doorway between our world and the spirit world would open so our deceased loved ones could come back to visit. Once the graveyard was tidy, they created ofrendas, altars, on the graves, arranging candles, flowers, photos, and mementos of their departed loved ones. An abundance of alcohol had been procured and delicious food had been prepared. They would be spending the night there, talking, eating, singing, and remembering and welcoming the spirits of their dead. This went on until first light, when the spirits returned and the doorway closed for another year. What struck me then was that the people were both reflective and festive. This was a holy day and a holiday devoted to death, but celebrating life. I told them I had never experienced anything like this, and they said, you must bring it home. The dead like it. I am so grateful for that life-giving permission, this new way to grieve. Grieving and celebrating are both done together. Patrick Grace's photo is here, and I'm struck by the beautiful photos you've chosen for the altar that we've created together today. So many smiling faces, so much joy and happy memories. We mourn and would be comforted. This is one of my favorite poem frag fragments from Bengali poet Rabindranath Tagore, writing of a loved one who died. Those who are near to me do not know that you are nearer to me than they are. Those who speak to me do not know that my heart is full with your unspoken words. Those who crowd my path do not know that I am walking alone with you. Those who love me do not know that their love brings you to my heart. talked about a grief case and also about containment, and there's one more spiritual practice I have found invaluable. Just this. Talk to your dead. I deeply believe that the conversation continues. I wouldn't expect them to answer you exactly, but if you get some kind of a response, know that, no, you are not losing your mind. You know they're not here 
as you knew them. But they are here in our hearts and minds, in our waking lives, and in our dreams. It makes perfect sense that our relationships continue to unfold. Here's a little story. David Copperfield is English writer Charles Dickens' autobiographical tale of his harrowing early life. American novelist Barbara Kingsolver has just come out with a modern-day version called Demon Copperfield, about a baby born in a mobile home to a hapless, precariously sober teenage mother whose growing up illustrates in devastating detail the opioid epidemic that is ravaging Appalachia. While touring her previous book in England, Barbara Kingsolver discovered that Bleak House, where Charles Dickens wrote a lot of David Copperfield, is now a bed and breakfast she couldn't resist. She and her husband, Stephen Hopp, were the only guests at this cliffside mansion. Stephen went off to bed, and Barbara settled into the study to get some writing done. I sat at his desk and just started communing with Dickens, she says. I thought about David Copperfield, and I'm thinking, we're in the same boat. I'm sure the polite Victorians did not want to hear about poor houses and orphanages. And then she did something perhaps uncharacteristic. I asked him, she said, how do I do it? How do I do this? And clear as a bell, the answer came. Dickens said, let the kid tell the story. No one doubts the child. Not all of us who talk with our dead will go on to write a best-selling novel, but we might just hear some wisdom, some guidance, some love, which never dies. Beloved spiritual companions, a grieving friend once said, I'm not over the grief, but I just realized the sky is blue. This is how the healing begins. May this day of the dead bring us and all who grieve a new measure of peace. Remember, in spite of everything that conspires to the contrary, love conquers death. Amen. And now for a benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Adapted from poet Judith Anderson, the dead have the last word. They say, remember us, you who are living. Restore us, renew us, speak for our silence. Continue our work. Bless the breath of life. Sing of the hidden patterns. Weave the web of peace. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins 
when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.